am Jeff Ado. This is Lunacy, where we discern the sacred from the insane and admit that whether we like it or not, we are all profoundly affected by the cycles of the moon. How? My guest today is my very good friend and brother, Sterling Hawkins, author of the book Hunting Discomfort, a public speaker and proponent of a no matter what life. Uh, I'm super excited to have you on the program. Sterling was actually my first guest on the podcast, and uh, now we're back again several months later. we got 20 episodes in the bag, in the can, in the whatever, okay, and are visiting again. So great to have you here, brother. Thanks for coming on. Great to be on, man. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to dive in. I've been pumped for this conversation for a long time, by the way. Good. Good. Yeah. Going to get into it. Big time. Yeah. So, um, so last time that we, I'm going to start off with this cause let's just go into the deep waters. Last time that we yeah. were together, uh, Sterling and I met in Denver and I, which is where he lives. I was there because my dad had been, uh, life flighted to a hospital there and was getting like a feeding tube put in and was not in good shape. And, um, I was like, while I'm here, I'm going to talk to Sterling cause we had been talking about doing that. Um, that. Uh, that ended up great. Dad made a made a big recovery from that whole thing with a lot of TLC. Um, I spent, I think, I don't know, two weeks or something up there um, yeah. with him. And my stepmom, of course, was there by his side the entire time. Um, and uh, and he made like a big recovery and he made it to our wedding in October, which was awesome that he was able to be there. Like Beautiful. really just so cool. Um, and then, you know, he just passed away, um, uh, March, March 8th. So, uh, God, it's been two months, just time flies, which, you know, uh, has been really challenging. Um, for me, I, I, it's just sort of like waves of grief and I keep acknowledging kind of the different ways that grief arises in me. Um, even like this morning and like yesterday, it's just all of a sudden I'm like really sad and I'm like, oh yeah. Dad died, you know, um, but just kind of allowing all of those feelings to come up, experiencing that discomfort intentionally. So yeah. maybe we could just talk about that. I think let's just start there. You know how how to how to grieve in a way that that really is is fulfilling and and I, I guess fulfilling is not the not the word that I want to use, but like honors the emotions that. I am having, we are having as we are having them so that we can release them. Yeah. But, so what's your think, take there? Well, I, I think the beautiful part about what you shared is it's not only honoring the emotions, but it's honoring him. You know, like one of the people that made you is no longer here. And to yeah. experience the grief that moves through you, losing that person, I, I think is an incredible tribute to them. And I, I think that it's incredibly important to not just remember all, all the good things and all the pictures and all the happy times, like do, do that for sure, right? Like there's, I'm sure, incredible positive memories that you have with him as well. But I think to deny the, the grief and the loss and the pain of him no longer being here is to deny, you know, part of him in a way. So how you're doing it, I think, is 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 beautiful. And I honor you for that. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I'm verklempt just talking about it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's really I really appreciate that. I, I think, you know, I had a, one of my friends, a very dear friend of mine, sent me some um, a message that was related. You know, there's a, 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 a beatitude. I think it's a beatitude in the bi bi in the in the Bible. A beatitude yeah. in the Bible. <laughs> in the Bible, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that goes, uh, blessed are those who mourn. Um, and uh, in the depths of that, it's it's kind of like. Blessed are those who mourn the the loss of the person. Um, and then there's kind of some advice in there somewhere that's like, don't get caught up in going, well, what do I do now? You know, what, what am I going to do now without this person and get stuck in your own way? Like really just mourn the loss of the of the person that is gone. And yeah. um, it's actually really helpful advice because we we can go there. I mean, I know for like my stepmom, that's been something that I've been really like concerned about and i feel like she's been handling really well you know i'll be there for her as time moves on particularly after the funeral which isn't until the end of june but um but you know there is that piece where it's like what do i do now that this person who's been so influential in my life is gone you know um yeah so when i i think not grieving the the loss of somebody like that or for anybody listening of of anything that you feel grief about i i think can start to direct our lives and our action in ways that we don't necessarily want and i'm i'm speaking as somebody yeah. that did it that way my grandmother was one of the closest people to me in my life and she passed away when i was 13 and I was sad at the time, but I didn't cry and I didn't express my grief. I felt, you know, I'm the oldest um, sibling in my family. I felt like I had to be strong and kind of lead the way and, um, you know, be that that resilience in a non-mourning kind of way. And for years after that, I knew I was sad. But what I didn't understand is why I was so addicted to working all the time. Like it felt like I had to work all the time, uh, even when I didn't have to work. Like on vacation, I felt like I was doing something wrong, especially in the moments of quiet, of solitude. I would just resort to doing some kind of work at an addictive level. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I realized in a plant medicine ceremony, actually, that I had not grieved her loss and I was avoiding that pain by working. My addiction to work was because I was avoiding the pain of my grandmother dying all those years ago. Wow. And at that point, experiencing the grief, the, the loss, the suffering, I don't know how it's been for you, Jeff, but at that point, I felt like it was so much grief, it was like going to break me. It felt like my body was not able to hold that level of sorrow. Um, but it, I expressed it, it came through me. And I'm not addicted to working anymore. I, I work a lot, of course, but now I'm have the autonomy to make the choice about working. It's not like I'm avoiding something. It's been incredibly yeah. transformative for me. When when did that happen? This transformation? Was that part of a ceremony or part of landmark or 
Do you, it know, was. Do you remember the context? Yeah, I, I was with an indigenous tribe called the Shipibo in the Peruvian Amazon, out literally in the middle of nowhere, totally off the grid, yeah. no power, no internet. And it was already driving me crazy because I'm like, I can't, I can't work here, right? Like I, I'm oh, off the grid. Yeah. So it was kind of forcing me down that path of confronting something. And what's interesting about it is as I'm in the ceremony with the Shipibo, which are incredibly beautiful ceremonies, I start to to shake and then I start to cry and I don't know where this sadness is coming from. And it wasn't until I'm in the throes of it that I realize what I'm crying about. And it was like, oh, this is 20 year old grief that I had never expressed. I had pushed it down, locked it away and spent much of my time looking for ways to avoid it. And as sad and heartbreaking as that experience was, it was one of the most beautiful things I think I've, I've ever done. And it felt, um, even when my grandmother was living, I didn't feel as close to her as I did in that moment. It was like she was there with me in that grief. It was incredible. That's so cool. What a beautiful experience. Yeah. And I definitely feel like there's a, you know, on, on, in, in those medicine circles, there's a, a deeper connection to the spirits of those who have passed. However, that, however, that manifests. I know for me, you know, we had, there was a ceremony that we did. Um, I've shared a little bit about this, but I'll go a little deeper. There was a ceremony that we did with my, my group about two weeks after he passed away. And I, I wrote a song for my, for my dad, um, that I, I sang to him actually, you know, while he was on his deathbed, I, I came up with the song kind of thing, which was a really beautiful way to mourn in the, in the hour of his passing, you know, he was still with us. He was just, you know, comatose on the bed there. Yeah. But, um, for sure could hear me. And, uh, so I sang this song in ceremony and, um, and, uh, it, it like, there were just so many little things that were so beautiful. Uh, the person facilitating the, the ceremony was telling a story about, uh, Lords. Do you know about Lords in France? The, okay, well, I'll share yeah. a little bit. St. Teresa, I believe of Lords. So yeah, in 1858 in Lords in France, um, yeah. there was this girl, Bernadette, who, you know, couldn't, couldn't read and, and write, who saw these visions of mother Mary come to her. Ah, I do said, know a little bit about this. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, said you need to dig here. And then a friend of hers also saw the visions of Mother Mary and the message was like, you need to help her. So they started digging for 30 days and they told people and that they were, you know, scorned about it. Like, oh, you're never going to see anything that nothing's going to happen. And then at the 30 day, the, at the end of the 30 days, uh, nothing happened. And then the neck and then they were, you know, they were laughing stock. And then the next day. You know this huge uh, lake emerged um, with with these incredibly healing waters, and there's been all of this documented miracles that have happened in those waters, and people walking again and like that. And you know, my father visited there, and my dad 
was always an atheist, you know, really intelligent, intellectual man, very scientific American reading kind of a dude, you know? Yeah. And I remember he came back. So, so that my friend who's facilitated the ceremony was telling this story in the ceremony. And I raised my hand and shared, you know, my dad visited there. And that was the moment where my, like, I'd never seen my dad ever talk passionately about God or spirituality or anything like that. And he was like, I just had this experience that was so in touch with spirit. And he was really moved. Wow. Like he really came away from that experience believing in God. And then it got brought up in the ceremony randomly. And I was able to share about it. Um, so that was really beautiful. And I, I definitely felt a deeper connection with him, you know, in that ceremony on that medicine. Wow. And also I just, I cried so much during that. So like for hours, I mean, I just sat there and I'm sure you could relate, you know, I just sat there and wept and it was like a real, there's such a profound acceptance in that. Now, of course, I'm not saying, you know, you need to go do ayahuasca in order to experience grief. You can create that environment for yourself, you know, but for, for me, it was profoundly helpful. <laughs> And it allowed me to kind of take this big weight that had been on my chest off, you know, and express it. And like, wow, it's like um, the image that comes to mind is, you know, you just have like a full heart. There's like a bunch of, you know, crap in it. <laughs> and then you just pull out the stopper at the bottom and it just drains out, you know, you clean it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. it, it did. It did feel like that. And, you know, it's still. Still, I have like waves, you know, I'm sure, you know, when, sure. The, when the final funeral happens, I'm sure I'll, I'll go through a lot then as well. And I mean, even this morning and yesterday, I was just like, all of a sudden I was like sad and I was like, well, what's going on? It's definitely that's that's what's going on for me. Yeah. And, and um, I don't I don't know if that ever ends. And it, certainly yeah. it'll be less frequent and so on. But I, I even notice now there are points where like just my grandmother will come to mind and I'll I'll tear up in the middle of, I don't know, flying somewhere. Right. Like in totally disconnected situations, something about whatever I'm experiencing touches me and it um, like I feel those waves of grief. And like I said, I, I don't know if those ever stop, but I do think that as we continue to be open to those things, it gives us a, a depth, a wisdom, an appreciation for our own limited humanity that just like transcends the ages in some way, you know, like keeps us connected with what is, which is not permanent. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful what you're saying right now. Um, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, as you pointed out, you know, stifling that, which is our tendency is to like stifle that, ignore it, get back to work, you know, do your thing, stiff upper lip still, you know, like put it, put a, whatever, yeah. put a smile on it, ignore it. That just doesn't work at all. I mean, it's like, you're just going to give yourself disease really. Like you could actually give yourself disease from doing that or foster addictions. Um, in, right. in your case, you were productive. It was a productive addiction, but still an addiction nonetheless that was costing totally. you things. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, some Norwegian research that found 
that avoiding, denying, or surviving discomfort, I call those like the discomfort defaults, just natural ways, at least in modernity, that we deal with discomfort, right? We push it away. We deny it. We pretend it's not happening. We kind of, like you said, get that stiff upper lip and say, oh yeah, everything's fine. Well, it turns out when we do that, it leaves us, according to the research, not unwilling but unable to act in accordance with the knowledge that we already have. So that means, like, I know what to do. I know I don't need to work all the time. But discomfort stops you or it drives you to do things that you don't, don't want to do or at least you don't have autonomy over choosing to do. That's fascinating. So it's because like because of the fact that I'm actively ignoring this huge thing in my life that's like probably unconsciously grandma or dad. Right. Probably unconsciously, but maybe maybe partially like I don't want to look at that. You know, like like you made a choice with your sister. You're like, I'm going to keep a you know, I'm going to I'm going to be the resilient one. Yeah. You didn't realize at the time what that would cost you. But like the fact that we're ignoring these things, it just creates a space that doesn't allow us to do what we know to do because we're still, so I know I need to stop working so much or stop drinking or whatever it is uh, that I'm using to, to, to gloss over it. Uh, I know I need to do that. The call is strong, but I can't because I won't allow myself to feel the thing that's causing it in the first place. Right. So I, I maintain that addiction to comfort and I sacrifice not only some of the like tangible results that we might want, but we sacrifice the joy and happiness as well. You can't selectively numb. Yeah, right. That's right. That's exactly right. So then you just kind of go into zombie mode and you're just moving through life. Yeah. Which, you know, by the way, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, that's me, it's okay. Uh, uh, we've all been there, you know. Uh, uh, you know, it's not, there's nothing wrong with being a zombie or recognizing that you're in that state, you know, what there is to do is just look internally what's in my heart, what's weighing on me and create a space where you can express that for yourself, you know, honorably, either by yourself or with other people that are going to support you. Um, but yeah, that's certainly, certainly our, our message here. And, you know, you also pointed to, to the impermanence factor. I, I think that's what's that's something that has definitely shifted well, for mm. me. Like, um, uh, Christine and I went to see uh, Perungi in concert last night. Are you familiar with Perungi? I'm not. It sounds awesome, though. <laughs> he is a person. Uh, he's a musician. He, um, I, I, it's hard to explain what it is that he does. Certainly, you can look him up online. I'm going to Google that afterwards. He's amazing. His music is absolutely phenomenal. He, 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 he's just such a genius. Uh, every time I see him, it just blows my mind. Um, you will have an experience like you're on medicine without any medicine, just being in, in, at his show. He, he basically has all of these instruments set up on the stage and then he plays them and he has a loop and he loops them. But the whole thing is like a prayer. It's like a ceremony. Wow. And he's creating it in the moment. It's all improvised, but he's so good at all these different instruments. And then he has a, a, a facilitator, this woman, Ashley, who um, I think her name is Ashley, 
who's incredible. She, and you know, she'll just come in and speak and say things and guide you like, you know, feel your feet on the earth and you're deepening into the planet. And it's just such a beautiful honoring experience. Um, and it was very cleansing. He really like created this um, vibe in the room that just everybody felt that was incredibly cleansing and purifying for all of us. And he wow. was honoring all the elements and, you know, um, and I, I had the experience during it where I was just like, okay, this is like just of impermanence in the way that, you know, life is short. And here I am at this concert and I'm really enjoying this concert. And even though part of me is like, oh, yeah, this is like something that you would just do on a, on a, a Thursday night or, or Wednesday night. What's today? Yeah. Thursday night. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a passing thing. Like, no, this is life is so permanent. Life goes so fast uh, that, you know, this is like a highlight moment for me, but, but all moments are like that. Like it just, something clicked about that. And it's related to that. My dad is dead. (laughs) Sure. Because he's gone, you know? Um, and I think, and it, what the, the effect of that level of recognition of impermanence is then I value what's in front of me so much more. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, when you, when you're really looking straight into the eye of the abyss of the impermanence of life, there's two options. You give up or you go hard, you know, or not go hard, but like you, 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 you give go up, in. you say, whatever, it's not, not, not worth it. Or yeah, you go in, you go deeper. How do I really milk this beautiful experience that I'm having that I know will be gone? How do yeah. I actively love more, my life more? You know, how do I be a contribution versus being a complaint? Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to chat with you a little bit there too. Yeah. There's something about those like inspiring transcendent moments that I think we need Um, and need at a very human level. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in the knowledge of everything. Yeah, I've got to send these emails and these text messages and go to these websites and do these things. And I got to be this way and this thing. And, you know, you got a to do list a million miles long and there's so much knowledge there it's easy to get trapped by it or stuck in it. And those transcendent experiences, there's something about them that elevates us in a visceral level above knowledge. And it connects us with almost like a knowing that there's something beyond knowing and gives us a connection to the spirit, the divine, something beyond, or or just call it inspiration. It's kind of interesting that it's in spirit, in inspiration. Um, that, that really frees you from knowledge, like getting stuck in that knowledge trap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And truly actually being present and living. Yeah. That's great. Um, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, Um, we talked about on our, our last podcast, you know, that thing my mom said, the way out is through. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's the choice we're confronted with when ultimately when we see the abyss, like it, it shows up in different ways. Um, you know, a new job or a new relationship or a new living situation, right? Like we see the unknown in tangible ways when our environment changes or something changes around us, 
But really, tomorrow's not promised to any of us at any level. That unknown is literally right here in front of us, second by second. And we don't know what's going to happen in those moments. And, and that's the abyss. It's right there. Yeah. And we can make that choice to avoid it, deny it, or survive it. Or we can go through those things, you know, confront the unknown, confront the fear, the anger, the grief that whatever might be there. And I think by doing that, it, it frees you of it in a way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, and I think, you know, um, there's something beautiful in knowing that it's, it's temporary. You know, there's something yeah. that's just makes it more beautiful. Man, I'm not going to see the world this way in this moment ever again. This is just right now. There's something beautiful uh, from a consciousness perspective as well, because it's like knowing that, accepting that, and then, uh, uh, you know, loving it even more because of the fact that it's impermanent just is so empowering and, and gratifying. To, to me as the person <laughs> yeah. in the experience. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, as, as great as degrees and books and all the knowledge is, and I'm, I'm not dismissing any of that stuff, it's incredibly important. But I think what you're pointing to is real wisdom, like a depth of appreciation for the impermanence of things and how to look at those around you, the world, and even ourselves in a way that really appreciates the temporality of the moment. It's just now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, the tendency is so much to just ignore things. You know, I was speaking with um, Autumn Reeser, my, my, uh, a good friend of mine about ignorance, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in, in another episode. Yeah. And just how, you know, that's what we're doing. And, and, you know, there's part of it that's like, we're designed that way. Right. I mean, if we weren't able to ignore all these things that we wouldn't really be able to function because there's so much information coming at us all the time. You talk about this in your book. Yeah. But then also we just choose to ignore the things that are uncomfortable that we're scared of. You know, that's part of our culture. Don't talk about it. Don't communicate about it. Just shut up and look good. Okay. Right. It's, it's like that. Yeah. It's like that. Don't have the tantrum that you really want to have when you want to have the tantrum, yeah. uh, you know, or, or cry when you really want to cry because you need to cry because it's there for you. Don't do that. Ignore it and then bottle it up. And then that's where we just get all fucked up. You know, that's where it all just gets bottled up and we get off track. Yeah. Then it's so hard to write ourselves and get ourselves back on track, but that's, you know, that's part of the culture. It's, I, I, it's almost, you know, what you stand for and what you talk about hunting discomfort. It's a, it's a very revolutionary act in terms of what most of society is doing, you know, saying, okay, you know what, oh, this is uncomfortable. Now I'm really going to experience the discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, that's, that's a modern development. I mean, back in the caveman days, discomfort was driving our survival and it was telling us something that we needed to act on. You know, if I've got the discomfort of being hungry, well, I better go pick some berries or go hunting or I'm going to die. Or if I've got the discomfort yeah. of um, fear, well, I, I've got to build a shelter or something to protect myself from all the saber-toothed tigers and whatever else was roaming around those days. What modernity has afforded us is the luxury of being able not to deal with the source of that discomfort. 
right? If I'm not on this podcast or not on a Zoom or if I don't have that tough conversation or if I don't grieve my grandmother, my life is not literally at stake, right? I have the luxury of not having to deal with discomfort. And for whatever reason, society, many people in society anyways, look at discomfort as something that's bad and wrong. And why do I have this anger or this grief or this anxiety? Forgetting that that is telling you something. There is information there that you can go into that you may need to act upon. And when you do those things, I I promise you that not only is it going to unstick you if you feel stuck, but it's going to give you a vitality and a freedom to achieve the things that you want to achieve and have the kind of joy and happiness in your life that maybe you want to have. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Yeah, it's worth the burn now. It's worth digging deep into it now versus, you know, letting it go. Yeah. Right. I I don't know where we got off thinking like, oh, I can skip out on discomfort. Yeah. It's it's crazy. There's only two kinds of people that don't experience discomfort and they're either dead or they're not born yet, right? Yeah. The only choice right. that we get the is how is amazing. The only thing that we can do is choose how we're going to deal with it and just placating it and putting it off and ignoring it and trying to survive it actually means that you're going to live with it longer. That's why I mean hunting discomfort. I'm not saying live an uncomfortable life. I'm saying hunt it, get to the source of it, solve what that discomfort is telling you or release what that discomfort is telling you. And then all the great things, the joy, the happiness, um, the comfort, real comfort, and maybe more importantly, peace start to arise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like, you know, no, you know, I know that I'm going to experience some pain from delving into the grief. I know it's not going to be fun. Like with my dad, you know, I know I'm not going to enjoy crying my face off, you know, uh, uh, and experiencing being inconsolable. Um, I know that that's not going to be fun, but I also know that on the other side of that, I'll have such an appreciation for my life and the contribution that my father was and is continuing to be for me that yeah. it's absolutely worth it. Um, and that's with so many things. I mean, this is, that's obviously, that's a big thing. Dad died. Right. But like yeah. little tiny things, uh, as well, you know, all the little things that annoy us, Exp- just go for the experience of, of, of fully embracing the annoyance and then that allows it to release versus as you're saying you know numbing yourself and that's you know we have i feel like that's so much of the culture numb yourself with alcohol or opiates or drugs or whatever anti-anxiety medicines or all the things that we can prescribe against actually being human (laughs) right yeah then then you know the then the result is a bunch of people, you know, just zombies walking around, just staring at their phones, walking around, you know? Yeah. Without the results that they want, without the kind of connection that they want. Um, you know, I'm, I'm present to this quote from Carl Jung, arguably the father of modern psychology, said, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation about anything, the traffic, your work schedule, your emails, your significant other. Uh, your father passing, condemnation about anything does not liberate. It oppresses and it makes it very hard. I would even say impossible to do much else. 
Yeah. Condemning um, anything that we won't accept. We don't want to accept the the that dad died. We don't want to accept that we didn't get 49 likes on our Instagram post. We don't want to accept it. So we right. condemn it. Right. Yeah. And, and then it, that and leads I, to our own oppression. And I and I think that condemnation happens certainly externally. Right. Here's all these factors in the world that I don't like. I don't like the war in Europe. I don't like inflation. I don't like the looming depression. Um, I don't like the cost increases in my business. Like, I don't like all these things. And yes, that's one aspect of it. But there's also those things inside of yourself. Like, oh, I don't like these ways of my thinking, being, and acting. And when we talk about condemnation of what is, we're talking about that external world, but we're also talking about those things that you might be condemning about yourself. And it really right. is an acceptance of both and all of those things that's important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. And I, that's the tough, that's the hardest the uh, hard part. nugget to crack. And, you know, I mean, you know, as far as the, you know, the love operating system, right? Asking myself, well, how do I love more? Yeah. You know, the, the primary piece there is, well, how do I love myself more? <laughs> how do I accept myself and who I am? You know, if I'm asking, how do I love my life more? Well, that's that's great. And it, and it, for sure, answers will come to me, uh, you know, uh, be more passionate about what it is that you really care about. Music, dialogue, et cetera. Um, yeah. And and but also, how do I love myself more? Like, how do I really yeah. accept and forgive myself more? for the mistakes that I have made so that I can start anew in this moment right now. Yeah. Certainly that has come up with me, with my dad, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I did not achieve the level of success that I wanted to achieve before my dad left the building. Um, and that's that, you know, I'm on the path. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm creating a lot of things. I do feel that I am successful, you know, um, I'm acting accordingly, you know, he got, got to see me get married, et cetera. But as far as like the achievements that I know that I'm here to make, that I will be making in the future based on what I'm, I'm putting out, you know, he didn't get to see that. So then there's a failure in that for me, you know, I feel like I failed. Yeah. How do I accept that? Okay. You know, that's cool, man. I get it. Dad didn't get to see that. He's, he's going to see it. (laughs) He's with me now, you know, yeah. there's also just like, I think part, part of that, that whole thing is like, well, how do I love myself for the failures that I, you know, for the condemnations that I have given myself, I've yeah. condemned myself for, for not, you know, being in front of a hundred thousand people or whatever, you know, playing, playing for a huge arena audience somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, well, that, that doesn't get me anywhere. Well, in to your point, there's, there's a there's a softening and opening that it requires to accept that. And I was just listening yeah. to. Do you know Dr. Gabor Mate, or or know of him? I, I've heard the name. Uh, does incredible work around um, grief and addiction. He's a I believe oh, okay. he's a trained psychologist, certainly a, a doctor. But he was saying something the other day that really resonated with me. He said, things in the world that are living 
don't grow from a place of strength. They grow from a place of vulnerability. A lobster has to shed its hard shell, its hard protective shell, in order to molt and to grow into a larger lobster. A tree has to expose kind of that vulnerable green uh, to extend another shoot from a branch. And humans are the same way. We've got to open, we've got to soften, we need to open to a, a real vulnerability in order to grow. If we're always yeah. going around with that stiff upper lip and pretending everything's okay when it's not, we're actually in, um, we're not acting in accordance with the ways that the world and humanity works. Yeah. 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 And that's, it's, that's so fascinating. And the, you know, therein lies, there's, there's a, such a strength in vulnerability and a necessity yeah. in vulnerability. And there's no avoiding vulnerability. You're going to experience it at some point. <laughs> right. You can't get around it. Right. So you might as well and just it, embrace it. You know, one of the things that I, I saw as a recovering perfectionist, I said another way, somebody that avoids vulnerability or looking bad in any way, is it started to look like, have you ever gone rock climbing? Yeah. So in rock climbing, you grab onto the pieces of the rocks that are exposed where you can get a finger hold or a toe hold and you can pull yourselves up. Well, I think feigning a a life or a a business of perfection is for somebody else to connect with that is like trying to climb a sheer granite face. It's just entirely smooth. There's nothing to grab onto. Looks beautiful, maybe as a countertop, but there's nothing to grab onto. There's no humanity. There's no depth. There's no place to connect. When you show some of those more vulnerable aspects, it's like the toeholds on the imperfect rock wall where we can connect in a new way. And those around us have places to connect with us on a deep level because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all going to go through grief and loss and suffering and anger and when we expose some of those things, I'm, I'm not saying go into a temper tantrum in your next board meeting, but when right. we expose some of those things, especially the people that we're closest to, it actually enables them to get closer with us, us to get closer with them, and kind of broaden this connection to what is and the impermanence of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, Dalai Lama talks a lot about that. I'm reading this, uh, The Book of Joy. Um, which is Desmond Tutu talking to Dalai Lama. Um, so, so beautiful, but they, they get into that a lot, you know, where it's like, you know, that's where our shared human interest, that's how we know that we are totally interconnected is, you know, that we're able to continue to have compassion. Um, man, he was just, we were just talking about, we were just reading about uh, Christine, my wife and I, you know, Christine, (laughs) sorry. Of course. (laughs) Sterling and, and Christine and I are old friends way back. Um, So yeah, way back. So, um, so we were, she was reading, you know, about the Dalai Lama was talking about all of these monks that when he, you know, fled, uh, Tibet, uh, were put in gulags in, in China and like really terribly awful gulags, like the worst of the worst. They combined all of the different torture things that the Russians were doing with the Chinese were doing and like whatever. It was just absolutely awful. And one of the monks that 
the Dalai Lama talked to afterwards was like, you know, I was really, I was really in danger so many times of, of losing my compassion for the guards I bet. that were guarding me. And that was his main concern. <laughs> and he survived. Only 20 people survived this prison that where hundreds of people were, were, were put in. He was one of the survivors. But that was his main concern was like, how I was, I, I, I want to maintain my sense of compassion because that's their, that's their it's tradition. Unreal. That's their lineage. That's their goal. Uh, it's so, so beautiful that he was looking. I mean, Victor Frankel, you know, same, same thing, man, search for meaning. He was in the concentration camp and that was also part of his things. He was looking at it from like, how do I survive this? But he also was looking at it from a compassionate perspective. How did these people come to this conclusion that this was the right thing to do? Um, you know, I just think that's so, you know, uh, opening yourself to that level of vulnerability allows you, me, to see our interconnectedness in a way that then gives me so much more purpose and actually makes me feel so less alone in the world because then I know that I'm related to all of this and all of, you know, everybody um, and you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, well, it, and I think, you know, on one hand, part of me is like, how could you find compassion for the people that are locking you up and torturing you? Right. Like as a human being, that seems in the scale of things that are difficult to do. That's really, really high on the list. And the other yeah. part of me looks at it and say, that's that's the work for all of us. You know, hopefully people listening to this aren't locked up somewhere in some like catastrophic situation. Um, but we have those, those moments of discomfort, the situations we don't like. I'm not making enough money. This relationship's not working. My kid's doing this and I, I don't like that. Or they've got different uh, beliefs than I do. But it really is that same kind of thing that you're pointing to with the monks of kind of summoning that, that inspiration. That, that openness, yeah. that connection with something higher, it's bringing that, those infinite feelings, love, joy, peace, gratitude, into the moments of discomfort and the moments of uncertainty that transform those moments. And I don't know the story, but I think that practice probably had something to do with how and why he survived. Maybe not on this plane, yeah. but maybe on another plane. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, Victor Victor Frankel. Uh, I mean, I, I I think that monk survived because of that, because that was his chief concern for sure. Victor yeah. Frankel talks about that explicitly. He was like, if I didn't switch, flip the switch, and start looking at myself as a human experiment on what, how much torture I could possibly survive, right? He gave that was the purpose, right? He changed yeah. the context. He was yeah. like, I would have been dead. And he gives solid examples of like. I would have went in this line instead of that line. And then that would have killed me. You know, he became valuable to them. Yeah. Um, and so then he's, he survived, but it was, it was really a function of the, that, that he, that he changed his context. Um, and for sure, I think also with the, with the monk, it was that he, he chose to become compassionate. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, in, in a way that's hunting discomfort, at least how we're talking about it here. It's taking the uncomfortable path. Like it would have been easy to shut down and be resigned and angry and hate those people. And nobody would have blamed them. Nobody. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like that's no. very natural. 
But at the same time, they they took the path that was harder, maybe not externally harder, but yeah. certainly internally to find love and forgiveness and, and peace and open themselves up to something that is beyond my capacity to understand in terms of difficult things. And yet they chose that that path. And it's I think it's. It's really beautiful to see that happen. And in, in those two cases, yeah. how they play out, right? How their lives grow from those rock bottoms of rock bottoms. Yeah, absolutely. If you're enjoying this program, if you love Lunacy, please consider becoming part of our team. Go to patreon.com backslash Lunacy podcast to become a member of our team. You can choose a number of different levels to support us on a monthly basis so that we can continue the work of exploring the love operating system, how best to be of service, and how to live life to the fullest. Thank you so much for your support. Much love, everybody. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I think as we're talking about this, you know, it's I, I feel like vulnerability is on the rise <laughs> as a cultural phenomenon. I mean, here we are having this discussion. I know um, my friend uh, Neil Brennan has a show um, that's called Blocks. You know, he's a yeah. comedian. Yeah. And, and so he he interviews all these people. And the whole premise is like, what's blocking you in life? You know, he talks to David Letterman about it. <laughs> David yeah. Letterman's like, what? <laughs> Nobody, we don't talk about that. But it's so beautiful that he brings it up because it's what needs to be discussed. And it really showcases, you know, our shared, our shared humanity and allows us to feel and be more. And, and uh, it's such a beautiful thing. Like I really, um, I just really commend him for, for doing that. And I think it's so beautiful that that's becoming more of a normative practice. Um, and also, you know, there's I, sometimes I have a concern where it's like, well, what if they're faking it, you know? But I think that's on the rise you, too, actually. It, 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 it might, it might be, it might be people are faking more vulnerability. That's, that's true. And that it's inauthentic, but I do, I like, there's part of me that's like, yeah, but you can't really fake it if it's really, truly vulnerable. Right. I, I like, you can't really, truly fake vulnerability. Ultimately. No, no, but you can, you're going to, we'll see through it. You can use words that, uh, point to vulnerability. And I think some of the people doing it, maybe some are doing it maliciously or intentionally or just trying to bait people into whatever it is that they're doing. But I think others speaking as, you know, kind of patient zero on this, that don't really know how to be vulnerable. And so just copy some of the language of the people they hear are vulnerable. And what you're pointing to, I think, is an important, really important distinction between the words of vulnerability and actually being vulnerable. Those are different things. And what we're talking about here is the act of vulnerability, not the language of. And having that separate for yourself and, and really, you know, I'm speaking to anybody that has some trouble with vulnerability like myself, a- assessing, hey, whatever words you're using, are you truly opening yourself? Are you willingly exposing a piece of your heart or your soul to who's ever in front of you or a camera or whatever else? And if the answer is then yes, 
then you're at least on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. I know, I know for me, you know, I, I, <laughs> um, I, I've chosen kind of a vulnerable path in life as certainly a, you, you have know, as a as a musician and acting and all that all that stuff is it's very vulnerable exposed um path and so yeah. and, and for for me so it's like and I'm I'm somewhat for whatever reason just who I am the personality type that I am like I'm I, I like that I like the vulnerability I like to to truly feel alive I'm into that. But I'm also always looking at like, how do I, when I'm, when I'm performing particularly, like I'm always thinking, I'm not always thinking, but I strive to think, how do I open my heart even more and expose even more of my love through this song or like whatever the, the, the song is about, you know, my passion for the song. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's, uh, it's a different take, but I feel like that. You know, if if you if you really start getting into vulnerability and really appreciating your life and being present and allowing yourself to feel the exposure and the impermanence of that, then that's when you really gain access to just feeling like you're truly living. For me, anyway, that's what it feels like. And I'm not yeah. always doing that, <laughs> but when I am, I'm yeah. feeling great. Yeah, you know, one of my um, friends and mentors, Richard Condon, who maybe you know. I've been doing some work yeah. with him lately and he talks cool. about uh, something that he I should calls, have him on the show. You, you should. Um, he's partnered up with Jeff Wilmore. Maybe you know him as well, but they've yeah. got some incredible uh, learning and teaching and um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it, but they've crafted a methodology to point to again, what they call your calling, or how would you give language to those moments of connection with spirit or the moments that you're inspired? And as you can give some language to it and say, hey, my calling is, that at least gives you some access and a reminder to connect with those things. And I use it on a a daily, multiple times a day basis. Okay. How does that go? So, so you say to yourself, my calling is, can well, you give me an example? Well, my, my calling is people live courageously no matter what. Okay. Now, wow. the words Glad of that aren't that important. All the words are, is they point to a world of experience that's moving yeah. to me, that's inspiring to me. When I really get connected to it, brings tears to my eyes when I think about the courage of my grandmother passing, what it took for her to look me in the eye and say, I love you moments before she died. Or the moments that I've had to summon courage for myself. When that language points to that world of experience and connects me with that inspiration in a way that has become intentionally has become like a North Star. It's what I'm here to do. Does that make more sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes great sense. That's beautiful. Really distilling what you're up to uh, in 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 just a short phrase like that. My calling is hmm, what's my calling? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I, I know you have a number of entrepreneurs and business people. You've got all sorts of people listening to this. But for anybody in a professional world of any sort, that North Star, your calling 
should be the North Star of your business as well. Maybe should's the wrong word. I think we've got the opportunity yeah, for it to be to. the North Star in business. Could be. So yeah. often we're looking back into the, the past for what we can fix, we can change, we can adjust. Now I'm speaking to anybody, right? Not just business, right? I'm looking into the past for what I can do a little bit better, a little bit differently, a little bit more. Instead of connecting with inspiration, something that calls me forward, that isn't just a better version of something that's already been, but something that's truly unique and truly different and a change from what always has been into a world of, well, what could be? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I, I, you bring that up. I keep thinking about this conversation that I've, I've been having with Christine, you know, and, and she's like, look, I really feel like you, what you're doing with your podcast could save somebody's life. You know, somebody could listen to it who's down in a rut and thinking whatever bad thoughts. And then they might be like, oh, wait, <laughs> I got something out of a discussion that, you know, that yeah. Jeff had with Sterling Hawkins, you know, where they're talking about something. And, you know, she says it and I'm like, it takes me aback because I'm like, really? That doesn't seem like, you know, I don't and I don't think of it with pride, but if I think of it with like, oh, that's 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 that might be accurate. That could actually be accurate. Somebody could have an experience of listening to a couple of your shows and be like, you know what? I'm seeing greater purpose in my life. And I was really going down a bad direction. And now I am, you know, discovering how it is that I can love more in my life, you know, how I can be more of service in my life. And, uh, totally. you know, that's something that drives me. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's, you know, my calling is how to, uh, how to help people discover their true purpose. Um, but there's something in there. I'm going to have to get back to you on it. <laughs> yeah. What my yeah. calling we'll, is. We'll debrief but that's, about it. It's sometime. true anyway. I, yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Well, it, um, and to that point, I invite you and all of us, myself included, to really take that potential impact in, you know, the ripple effects of anything that we do are far beyond anything that we'll ever be able to really see. And I, I'm with you. I get you know, notes from people after a, a keynote or a workshop or something saying things that are really quite moving. And even when I hear it directly from them, I'm like, wait, really? You got that from yeah. me? Hmm. And there's wow. this opportunity for all of us to embrace the tremendous, profound impact that we can make with our being and, and with our words at Starbucks, at work or at home. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if your goal is to be of service, which I think, I mean, that's part of the trick, right? It's like, um, you know, we all want to look good and be right at all costs. Right. Um, and so we're, we're looking at, well, how do I get the things that are going to make me look good, you know, win the awards or whatever and all that shit. But that's not really, there's no juice in that. And really, you're not going to win the awards if you're just concerned about how do I look. It's how do I be of service? How am I of service to other people? You're a motivational speaker. You know, you're a keynote yeah. speaker to people to get them motivated. I, I'm, I'm a musician, you know, performing songs to really get people in touch with their heart and their true nature, their true self, you know? Um, yeah. Well, it, in, in service. Truth, in service. Yeah, it, truth yeah. be told, I, I don't like the term motivational speaker. It's the category of things that I, I fit in. 
But motivation is getting yourself or somebody else to do something you don't really want to do. My intention is actually very similar to yours to truly inspire, to light that fire inside of somebody where they don't feel like they have to do something, but they want to do something. They're moved in a different way, you know? Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Really well put. Yeah. And it's also like looking at, well, what really does inspire me? You know, maybe I'm not doing the thing that I really want to do. You know, I, I have a, um, a good friend of mine who's just graduating from college Yeah, and, uh, he, he, the degree that he got does not really, (laughs) it's not really inspiring to him. You know, he's, he's done. He got his degree and that's great. But you know, what he really wants to do is be a writer, you know, uh, and do, do music and other things. And like, you know, so it's about, well, how do you give yourself the confidence and just feel like, okay, that's, I know that that's what drives me. So what's the path to get there? How do I achieve that goal? And how do I start following? And then, then that builds its own momentum because it's like, once you start answering your calling, then there's this fire that gets built that is unlike anything else in life. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And if I, can I, can I tweak that just a little bit? Do you mind? Tweak away, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think there's a danger to externalizing inspiration. And no doubt, you know, if you're, if I'm at one of your concerts or, you know, I'm, watching something really beautiful or with somebody that I love, like I might find inspiration there. But the source of inspiration is coming from me. I'm not dependent on the external world for inspiration. It comes from me. I'm generative of that. And as we can connect with that um, generative inspiration, we connect with that feeling on a regular basis that's going to cause us to act and pursue different pathways that's more aligned with your calling, your authentic self, um, that's more aligned with what you truly want. Yeah, better said. Nice. Um, yeah, that's great. And I, I, I do want to um, pivot just a little bit into the yeah. no matter what realm um, because I... Um, had a really big win yesterday and I want to share it with you. Yeah, please. Um, you know, we, I, I think I've mentioned to you, they were, they were trying to open this gold mine up here in grass Valley. So, and that would be tremendously detrimental to the environment that there's a whole slew of problems with it. It would create asbestos in the air. It would create toxic waste on the land. They would literally be draining the wells of hundreds of residents. And also then the wastewater from all that like would, would cause calamity. And, uh, you know, I really got passionate about it. I wrote a song called Wells Run Dry. I did a music video it's where a I got... beautiful song. I've seen it um, online. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I got local people to come do a flash mob with me in Robinson Plaza in the center of Nevada City. Um, you know, I promoted it a lot. I did. I've done four podcast episodes <laughs> about the mind yeah. with different guests. Yeah. Um, like I've really been pushing for it. And yesterday. Yesterday was the meeting, the big meeting, the Nevada County uh, Planning Commission meeting. Yeah. And uh, yesterday and the day before Wednesday and Thursday. 
And uh, it was, I mean, so many people, you know, 600 people showed up to, to protest mostly. There were a few people in wow. support of mine, but, um, and I, and I got up, I'm actually going to show you a little clip, I think, um, yeah. here of me getting up to sing my song to the board of supervisors, um, and to Ben Mossman. And I'm going to show you. So let's see if I could do that. If you're not watching this folks, you can watch it on YouTube on Jeff Ada YouTube channel. But anyway, you'll be able to hear it nonetheless. Oh, there we go. That's me. Ah. This guy behind me, the guy behind me where the guitar head is pointing, that's Ben Mossman. He's the CEO of, of, of Rise Gold. <laughs> hmm. It gives me great faith uh, that you who have dedicated so much of your lives in service to this community to protect us uh, have already discovered two lies that this company has told. One, regarding where educational tax revenues will go, and two, regarding how much waste will be created on a daily basis by Rise Gold and their endeavors. Uh, given the enormity of evidence presented here by the citizenry, I trust that you will vote no on the FEIR and on this project. Following is how the majority of Nevada County feels about this project. You might say your mining claim is what everybody needs. Beneath your lying promises is the heart of your creed. We won't let you slip it into the ground beneath our feet. Rape our land of treasures that our people solely need. Wills run dry and the people are thirsty. Wills run dry and the people are weak. Wells run dry and the people are thirsty. Wells run dry and the people awake. Wells run dry and the people are thirsty. Wells run dry and the people awake. Wells run dry and the people are thirsty. Wells run dry and the people awake. Won't you please do us the decency of not pretending like you care while you fill our space with toxic waste and contaminate our air? Rivers have no memory of pausing in their veins. We will fight for every drop till you abandon all your claims. Wells from dry and the people are thirsty. Wells from dry and the people are weak. Wells from dry and the people are thirsty. Wells from dry and the people are weak. Well, it's time to put the planet back <laughs> to the place where it belongs. Sacred, righteous architect of each and every song. Take dominion, exploitation, and greed without remorse. Bring harmony and dignity and honoring our songs. Wells run dry and the people are thirsty. Wells run dry and the people are weak. Wells run dry and the people are thirsty. Wells run dry. Thank you. Jeff, thank you for presenting on key. It's <laughs> awesome. So this guy in the background, Ben Mossman, I kept looking at him, you know, because the song is about him. He wouldn't, he would not engage eye contact with me, which was sort of gratifying um, in a way. But um, yeah. 
So how did they vote? They voted no? Is that the... They voted no on all counts. Nice. And there was... Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I really, um, you know, it's really like uh, I wanted to bring it up because you're you're no matter what. And it was really like a big no matter what. They're not going to put this mine for me. It was really big, like over my dead body, no matter what. This is not going to happen. You know, I I put a lot of effort into it, um, including including that that performance. I also did one at the previous meeting that they had as well. Um, But, you know, and I and I know. I know for a fact that it made a difference. I know that the podcast made a difference because people came up and asked me about it. And, and I know for a fact the song made a difference because a good friend of mine from the No Mind movement, my friend Joan has a very conservative friend who she was really trying to convince, hey, this mine is a bad idea. Look at all the facts and figures uh, you know, behind it. And he was not having any of it. And then she showed him my music video and he changed his mind. Wow. Like he, yeah, I, he went uh, from being pro mine to against the mine because of the video. That's so cool. It, and it's not just your commitment. I mean, the commitment is huge. It's important. It's necessary. But what's really cool about it too, Jeff, and undoubtedly connected to your success with it, is the inspiration that you're bringing to it, the, the heart and soul you're bringing to it, like playing that song in the middle of their meeting. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's what shifts. You know, you you shift the spirit of something um, at its core, and you're no longer fighting something, but you're providing an opportunity or pathway to something that just is better. Better is the wrong word. That is good. Let me say that. That is good. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like um, uh, for me, there's sort of just an acknowledgement of the nobility of the earth and. For sure, that song is very much connected to, you know, how do we honor the planet? How do we put the, how do, you know, it's time to put the planet back to the place where it belongs, the sacred, righteous architect of each and every song. Take dominion, exploitation, and greed without remorse. Bring uh, harmony and dignity and honoring our source. You know, I really, I really feel like that's, you know, that message, like when I wrote the song, came through so quickly and powerfully. It was really just like, you know, this is what matters. And uh, and I have to say, really, you know, I, I obviously cool. <laughs> I'm not taking credit for the fact that they said no. OK, I'm just a part of a of a huge movement. But the fact that I know that I am part of that movement and that I made a difference really like it just is so gratifying to me to have that win and to also know that, you know, because of what we did. As a group, as a community, uh, you know, we're saving this, th- this part of our planet. Yeah, we did something that really matters. And, you know, it's, wow. it's, it's, we took a stand for the earth and we won. And it's really like, you know, God only knows it was one of those, this whole thing was like an event where I was like, okay, look, and first of all, we just moved here and spent our entire life savings getting here and everything. So then, the, the prospect of potentially spoiling this paradise with contaminants and et cetera, cancer causing agents, et cetera, like was, was not appealing, but sure. looking towards future generations after I'm gone, what's going to be the effect of this? Because the mines that were up here previously, they're still cleaning up hundreds of years later. There's, there's toxic, you know, you can't go in the Creek, Wolf Creek because yeah. of, 
you know, a previous mind spell. So to know that we did something for future generations too, is really, really gratifying. That's awesome. Gives me goosebumps. I mean, congratulations on that. That's a, that's a real win for you and the community there. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you um, know, for, I don't know when this happened, but a lot of business, especially, has become very self centered where they're just um, going after things that they know don't serve people. Where, you know, they're selling food that's terrible for you or disrupting the environment yeah. in ways that they know are damaging or selling you products that everybody knows you don't need, right? There's, there's been a disconnection from what's ultimately important to from all of us as human beings. And as we can get connected more to that, I, I think that that you know, creates not only a, a, a better world, but a better future for all of us or a good future for all of us. One that's not just a little bit better than the past or you know, trying to fix and change and prevent and uh, achieve, but one that starts to be more truly aligned with the important things and maybe even something higher than that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, I, I hope that this trend is building, you know, where we're recognizing the selfishness of our actions and how things, how our companies and our endeavors are affecting the planet. Um, I feel I feel like it is. And I feel like it's also, you know, continue to have conversations like this where we're really looking at what does the whole need? <laughs> what does yeah. humanity need to survive? Yeah. And how do we how do we honor our source and where we come from and really like build that? How do we turn the ship around? You know, because it's I you know, <laughs> it seems incontrovertible uh that that we're you know potentially ruining this beautiful planet and this life that we have and the planet, you know, the, the whole sphere. Yeah. It seems very likely that that's happening. So there's an imperative there, right? Like we, we really have to, or, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but then there's also yeah. the opportunity of that. And I think that's the beauty of it um, is the opportunity of seeing beyond my own needs or the needs of my company or the, you know, the, the basic just uh, greed based kind of fear based operating system, the scarcity seeing beyond that, then that opens up such a beautiful world of purpose and heart and love that we can have by taking a stand for the planet, what we really believe in. Yeah. A, a friend of mine just told me something. Uh, right along the lines of that. She said, any choices or decisions that you make out of fear or out of need are typically wrong. And I'm like thinking wow. about that. I'm like, I think that's right. Like any choices that I made when I really needed something um, weren't really the right choices because I'm making them out of fear or survival of not having. And you're right, at least from where I sit, I do feel like something incredibly beautiful and powerful is, is emerging for all of us. I can't exactly tell you what that is, but it feels like a positive shift is happening. Yeah. 
And I also think, you know, and I want to throw it back to you. I I feel like, you know, you've been doing bigger and more beautiful (laughs) presentations to different companies. And, you you know, you're all about this in your conversation with them and really seeing the bigger picture and having purpose and, you know, creating that, um, that stand, that context for people. Um, you know, I talked to, uh, Ron Weinrich recently. We did an episode. Oh, about, I haven't talked to him in forever. How is he? He's, he's okay. He's okay. Yeah. Um, he's in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that episode, by the way, is well worth your, your listen. Um, yeah. But the, you know, the conclusion, he talks in depth, very vulnerably about his whole experience with being, uh, a veteran in Israel. Wow. Um, and, and his perspective on it. And, um, there was part of me that was expecting him to be more optimistic. I don't know why, uh, it's really messed up over there right now. And, you know, as he puts it, like they live in a very bad neighborhood, but the, 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 the conclusion that he came to is anybody who tells you that they have a plan for peace in the Middle East is full of it. They don't run. Um, he was like, the only thing that I can see that works is personal development. <laughs> we changed the, the only world path to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's personal development. And he said it. And at first I was like, huh, huh, really? That's it. Really? That's your answer. The more that I think about it, the more that I a hundred percent believe in what he's saying. It's really the only it's really the only way is that if each of us start caring about ourselves and our own transformation, our own experience of life, uh, you know, loving life more, being having more of a love operating system, you know, really going after it no matter what, you know, hunting discomfort, that actually is the change that will really transform the world because yeah, we are in charge. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I started out a lot of my work and still continue a lot of my work around growth and innovation and company transformation. But what I'm talking about is not the latest technology or the latest tool, the new consultants that you have to bring in. It's about the people. It's the people that are going to innovate. Companies, communities, countries, the world will only change, will only grow as much as its leaders are willing to. Um, I didn't think yeah, about it in the context of the Middle East, but it's, it's just as true there, right? As we're willing yeah. to grow as individuals, that's what's going to, to power the, the growth, the positivity, the good things inside of whatever community you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's beautiful. So you told me that you have a hunting discomfort quiz, Sterling. And I do. I'd like to know more about that. What's yeah. the story? Well, it, so there's a reason this is important. Most of us build our lives and by extension, our business and everything to avoid, deny or survive discomfort. Right? And like we talked about, it oftentimes happens before we're really conscious of it. And at younger ages, it really takes some digging to understand, well, what is that discomfort that I'm avoiding? You might have a sense of it, but what we found is that it's best to have a, a really short quiz, just 15 questions. It doesn't cost anything. I'm not selling anything here, um, but 15 questions to walk you through some different scenarios. And at the end of which, it'll say, which of the five major discomforts 
is most in your way. We all deal with all of them all the time, but there's one that's really rising to the top. And just as important, some steps about what to do about it. And everybody can check that out if they like at uh, huntingdiscomfort.com. Cool. I'm going to do it. That's amazing. I was thinking you you were going to give me a a quiz right now. You're going to start asking me questions, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, not, not but, right now. We'll, we'll leave it for people good. to check out personally. And, you know, if you'd like, I'd welcome yeah. anybody, yourself, anybody that's listening to this to share it. Because as people yeah. can orient to their own discomfort, that's what's going to change them, which in turn is going to change their family, their community, their business, the country, and of course, even the world. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I, I think not only, you know, share about the hunting discomfort quiz, but also share this episode. You know, if you have friends or family you think will benefit from this discussion and or you just want to like open up, uh, you know, a line of dialogue where you can talk more about the things that are really uncomfortable uh, with people that are in your life. You know, please, please share this episode. I think it's really like a, it is a, if, if you find that this podcast, uh, was helpful to you in any way or some way, um, then sharing it with other people is an act of service on your part. And, uh, and so I highly encourage you if that's, if you're called to do that, to, to please go ahead and share with others. Yeah, please do. I've really enjoyed today, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. It's been an awesome, awesome conversation. Oh, so I have to ask you one, the podcast question is for you, Sterling, what is sacred and what is insane? What is sacred and what is insane? Did I answer this on the last one? I'm like, no, I, because I, I hadn't come up with it. Though. Oh, no, this, this, this is new. Uh, this is a new question. Yeah. I, I think what's sacred is in your heart and what's insane is anything else. Okay, that's good. Wow, that's great. That's the simplest answer that I've received. And I'm going to have to go listen to some of the other answers. I'm very curious now. Yeah, I should do like a uh, like a montage of answers to that question. That would be cool. Point. That would be very cool. Yeah, it would. Um, that's beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much, my brother. I really want to I really want to acknowledge you also for um, for transforming your life. You know, when we met, we met doing transformational work at Landmark many years ago. Um, but certainly you weren't nearly at the level uh, that you're you're at now with your career and what you're up to. Um, and I, there were even some periods in our friendship where I know each of us was kind of floundering in a way. I just really want to, uh, I just really want to acknowledge you and honor you for, uh, for creating the life and the career that you have and for really contributing to people, really making your life be about service and inspiring others and, uh, you know, getting them to discover their own heart and what really drives them. I really want to Thank you for doing that for me personally and for the rest of us. Thank you. Received. I I appreciate that. And I feel very much the same about you. Thank you for uh, the podcast, the conversation and and the courage to do the, the kind of work that is hard, but is necessary to grow. So thank you. Yeah. Right on. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, become part of our team. Go to patreon.com backslash lunacy podcast. 
Lunacy is a creation of myself, Jeff Ado, with podcast management by Kimberly Joy Voice. Thank you so much. Much love, everybody.